welcome to this special episode of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today, we are excited to bring you the State of the Industry panel discussion that took place at H&H Americas, a new trade show for the crafts industry that took place in Chicago, June 22nd to 24th, 2022. H&H Americas is presented by Cologne Mesa Incorporated, one of the world's largest trade show organizations, as you'll hear me mention in the opening remarks. For the first time, this show came to North America, and Craft Industry Alliance was the strategic partner. What you're about to listen to was the kickoff event, a panel discussion focusing on the crafts industry, where it's come from, where it is now, and what the future holds. There were four speakers, Vicki Howell, Maureen Miller, Trisha Malcolm, and David Gillivar. I moderated the panel, and I'm pleased to bring it to you in audio format for the podcast. So here it is. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. It's so wonderful to see everybody here. So um, before we get started, I just wanted to take a, a few minutes just to thank you so much for being here. We are super excited to uh, to finally be here at the, the launch of our inaugural h and Americas, and we have received a lot of support from, from so many of you, and we really appreciate that. Um, my name is Meta Peterson. I am president of Köln Messe Incorporated. We are the North American subsidiary of Köln Messe GmbH, headquartered in Cologne, Germany. Uh, many of you are, are probably uh, familiar with the H&H Cologne show, the very successful show that has taken place in Cologne for many years, and we felt that this was the right time to, to bring the H&H brand to, to the U.S. Um, just to give you a few few numbers, um, we have 195 exhibitors here from 23 countries. We are expecting more than 2,000 visitors from 43 different countries, um, and we actually have 45 U.S. states uh, represented. So I think that's a really exciting start. Um, and we are equally excited about working with our um, strategic um, industry partner, um, Craft Industry Alliance and uh, Abby Glassenberg. So with that, um, I would like to, uh, on behalf of our Kölnmesse headquarters, uh, as well as our Kölnmesse team here in the U.S., and of course the Craft Industry Alliance, uh, would like to welcome you to our event. Enjoy the next three days. Enjoy the, uh, the panel now. Um, and then afterwards, starting at 5 o'clock, we have our party, our reception in the exhibit hall when the, when the show opens. Um, do feel free to, uh, to roam around and look at the exhibits, enjoy some, some food and drinks, and uh, enjoy the event. And again, thank you so much for coming. Welcome to H&H Americas. We are so glad you are here for this incredible show that's about to begin. I'm Abby Glassenberg, the president of Craft Industry Alliance, the trade association for our industry. And I am so pleased to welcome you here today as the strategic partner helping to bring H&H North America. I have to say that when I started my craft blog 17 years ago, all I had in mind was sharing craft projects I was making while our new baby napped. Having then taken maternity leave from my job as a sixth grade teacher, I finally had time to make things. And I had the internet to connect me with people all over the world who loved making things too. That nascent online maker community was my lifeline as a new mom. And it grew and bloomed in extraordinary ways we could never have imagined. Today, here at this show, that community comes to life in real life. What an incredible thing to be part of. H&H Americas is presented by Cologne Mesa Inc., an international trade fair and exhibition center in Cologne, Germany. With about 80 trade fairs and over 2,000 conferences annually, Cologne Mesa is one of the world's largest trade show organizers. Many of you may be familiar with H&H Cologne, which has for many years been the premier trade show for the industry, drawing exhibitors and attendees from all over the world, 
for an incredibly inspiring event. And now we are just totally thrilled to be welcoming H&H to North America. How incredible is this to bring H&H here to Chicago? We have over 195 companies exhibiting from 23 nations all over the globe at this inaugural event. And I want to take the time now to thank each of you for the investment you've made to be here today. We know that these last few years have been very volatile for businesses large and small. And this moment right here and right now is our opportunity to come together as an industry to support one another and look toward the future. So thank you for all you've done to make it possible for you to be here today. From the exhibitor floor to the sofa talks, workshops, classes, and keynotes, we hope you enjoy taking it all in. We in this room represent all different roles in the crafts industry. We are yarn and fabric manufacturers. We are designers and bloggers and video makers. We're teachers and tech editors and notion inventors and so many more roles than I can even list. But we are united in a single and crucial way. We are all dedicated to helping people express their creativity. That's what the crafts industry is about. We provide the tools, the knowledge, the inspiration that allows people to make things with their hands. And that making carries them through all different parts of their lives. It, carried them, it carries them through um, the birth of a baby, to a wedding, to the death of a loved one. It carried them through a global pandemic when we saw a massive renewed interest in sewing and quilting and embroidery. And this is because craft has always been part of the human story. From the very beginning of humanity, we have had the desire and necessity to make things and to decorate, to create practical, beautiful things that enrich and adorn our everyday. That is the heart of craft. And what always strikes me most about the crafts industry is that really it's a microcosm of the whole world. Think about it. Every political, economic, social, and cultural issue happening out there is also playing out right here. And today we are so grateful to have four incredible leaders in the crafts industry here on this stage to discuss the state of the industry. These panelists bring perspectives from three different continents. They hold a variety of roles and positions and bring different outlooks. And I can't wait to hear what they're thinking about. So let's get things started with the State of the Industry panel. Please welcome to the stage David Gilliver. Vicki Howell. Trisha Malcolm, and Maureen Miller. Okay, so to get started, I'd love it if you could each take a minute or two to tell us a little bit about your role in the industry, the company that you're with, and what it's all about. So we're going to start down in the end with you, David. Okay. Thank you very much, Abby. And I'm very happy to be here at this inaugural um, fair. Um, it's fantastic, as you say, that H&H has finally made it to North America. Uh, we've been having shows. Oh, sorry. Where, who am I, first of all? I'm, <laughs> that's where we should start. My name is David Gilliver. Um, you've probably gathered that I've got a British accent, so I'm actually British. But I have been living in Germany for the past 30 years. Um, my role in the industry has been as a manager and director of the company Coates. Probably most of you have heard of Coates or Coates and Clark in the US, a very, very old Scottish company, and I've worked for Coates for almost 40 years in various roles around the world, living um, in many, many countries as well. The closest I came to the US was Mexico, living in Mexico, lived in Hong Kong, lived in Africa, lived in Europe, etc., etc. Um, when I was the managing director of our company in Germany, which was um, about 20-odd years ago, we decided to restart a trade association um, because we'd had trade associations up until then, um, but we needed a, a big, good trade association, 
and we set up the Initiativa Handarbeite, or in English it would be called the Handicrafts Initiative, in 2000. I became the president of it, and we had other people who then assisted us uh, as, as managing directors and various uh, roles in the, in the organization. And since the year 2000, we have been successfully um, organizing the tra this trade association in Germany and cooperating with the Cologne Trade Fair in holding our craft show, which is H&H &H Cologne, every year in March, early April. Um, who, what trade association are we? We represent the crafts businesses. Retailers are not members of our association, so it's quite a, a small number of companies, but it's companies that many of you see and uh, hear around here. You know Gutemann, you know Prim, you know Adi, um, you know Lang, you know um, Borda, perhaps. Um, these are the companies that are members of our association in Germany, and we represent them. We are the trade association for the German-speaking countries in Europe, which is Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. Thank you. Okay, that's a tough act to follow. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my name is Trisha Malcolm. I'm an Australian. You can probably tell by my accent if you haven't met me before. Um, I've been living in the US for a long time and I've worked primarily in the craft publishing um, industry. And for a long time I was the editor-in-chief of Vogue Knitting Magazine. Um, I launched a book publishing company where we published across many different um, craft modalities. And I launched Yarn Market News Magazine. Um, right now I work for um, DMC uh, America or DMC USA and my role is um, sales director for the DMC yarn brands for the independent yarn stores. G'day. <laughs> G'day. If you hadn't noticed, I'm from Down Under, Australia. I am the owner of Palm Beach Quilting. Um, we're located in Victoria, Australia. I'm a sole trader, um, but I have a great group of girls who help me out when I need help. Um, they're actually running the shop while I'm over here enjoying myself. Um, we actually are the Australian grand prize winners for the By Annie local quilt store competition. So that is how we came to Chicago. Our store specialises in wide back fabrics. Um, in Australia, most stores carry about six to ten bolts of the wide back fabric. We have 300 or so in stock. So we find that a lot of people travel distance to come to our store just for that. And that's about it. Hey there, I'm Vicki Howell. I uh, got my started in the yarn industry, well, general crafts industry in 2004. Um, when I got the gig as the host of a TV show for DIY Network and HETV called Nitty Gritty. Um, and it was, I had only been knitting for a year, um, but the show made me an expert because I got to learn from the most amazing people. And so from there, um, when you're handed an opportunity like that, you, you run with it. So since then, I've written uh, 13 books in the space. I've been a spokesperson, I've been a teacher, I've licensed products, um, kind of done every, every tap dancing gig that you can get in this industry, um, written magazine columns, worked with Trisha many times. And as luck and fate and the, um, the world would have it, I am now the owner of a business called Yarnier by Vicki Howell, subscription boxes, curated boxes, education, and kids. Wonderful. So um, I want to start with kind of the obvious, which is about the pandemic. Um, obviously, this was a massive disrupting force absolutely everywhere worldwide, and certainly was in our industry too, in all different ways. And so when thinking about the pandemic's impact on the crafts industry specifically, I'm wondering what you saw and what you experienced. So Maureen, if it's okay, we'll start with you. Yes, well, I come from the most locked down city in the world. 
Since March uh, 2020, we've had 262 days of lockdown. So that meant that we were not able to leave our homes unless it was for one of four reasons. Only one person from each household was allowed to go to the supermarket once a day. We were had to be home by 7pm and we weren't allowed to leave our homes until 6am the following morning. We weren't allowed to travel five kilometres, which is three miles for you guys from our home. Luckily, my shop was within the five kilometres. Um, so I found that because everyone had to stay at home, a lot of people were getting their sewing machines and crafts out of their cupboards. They were reunited with their sewing machines. A lot of people had projects that they'd started 10, 15 years ago that they actually were working on. Um, they would ring up the shop or luckily we had a great website so they would order. We did a lot of internet orders. Um, the things that we did, I would meet customers in McDonald's car parks with their supplies mm. just to keep them going because craft was their only saving grace through the pandemic. Um, that's about it, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you, Vicky? Do you have thoughts about pandemic? I mean, for me, I, it was serendipitous. So I had... When I started Yarnier four years ago, um, I had a partner, and then it became mine. I and mean, as part of the partnership, it was a subscription box partnership, they had hooked me up with a fulfillment company. But for many reasons, it wasn't working. I didn't feel like I'd have any control over it. And um, I also saw an opportunity for repackaging and repurposing stuff that hadn't sold and that type of thing. So it just worked out that I planned to take it over at about, it was about February, March, 2020. Now this was the time where we didn't know whether or not you could get COVID from just touching stuff, from stuff being shipped. So I found out that the fulfillment company had a policy that they were going to hold products for 30 days before they could pack. I own a monthly box. If I had not had that stuff in my house with my children and my husband <laughs> packing, the business would have, would have collapsed right there. Um, so it was hard, but it was also great because who's hiring spokespeople and, you know, TV hosts in the middle of a pandemic, it all, I also felt like I was giving something positive out in the world and people needed stuff to do. So it was actually kind of a give and take that felt pretty good. Now, since we've all emerged, it's a different, there are different challenges, mm -hmm. but that particular one was, worked out okay for a horrible time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Trisha, what about you? What did you see? Well, for me personally, it was quite strange because I live in New York City and we went into full on lockdown before most other places did. And it was very quiet. There were no planes. There was no one on the road except ambulances. Mm -hmm. And it was quite devastating um, on a personal level, especially having lived through 9-11. You know, it's like, how can we be ground zero again? You know, mm -hmm. but Work is the thing that keeps us going, and we pivoted very quickly, um, our whole team, to Zoom. And I'm a massive fan of Zoom, and I'm incredibly grateful. And I have no Zoom fatigue. I will Zoom till the cows come home, because <laughs> without Zoom, we had no connection. Yeah. Yeah. And we had no connection with our, um, with our team. We had no connection um, you know, with our, um, our retailers, with our, uh, our representatives. Um, we had no way of existing as a business without Zoom. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of early training and um, that was really an important thing. And we got onto it very, very quickly and got people used to it. And we did a lot of consumer outreach with Zoom and we would have hundreds of people on a one hour event, you know? And I think people really needed connection. And to me, the best thing that came out of it all was that ability for us all to connect. And I've met people I would never have met from all over the world if it hadn't have been for the pandemic. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same way. And David, what about you? What, what did you see? Yeah, I think uh, on a personal level, I would echo what 
other people have said. I mean, in Germany, we had the same situation. We live in a country area, so probably not so badly affected. What mostly affected me was I couldn't travel, and I love traveling, so uh, it was really, really tough. Um, I, I saw lots more of my wife than I normally would. <laughs> Maybe positive. <laughs> no, certainly positive. But, um, but it was a very strange period for us, for, as, as, as for all of us. Um, what I would say, and you mentioned this, uh, we have statistics on the German market, and what we saw in um, 2020 um, compared to 2019 was an increase in the market turnover by 20%, which is a very, very substantial number. We're talking about one and a half, 1.2, 1.3 billion uh, euros, and the market grew by 20% in 2020, which means uh, mostly in sewing, uh, fabrics, these sorts of areas, not so much in knitting, uh, but more in these, these areas, sewing machines, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there's been a, there's a massive growth in, growth in the market, which continued also into 2021, um, but not uh, to such a great degree. That means that people were staying at home and the retailers were somehow getting the goods to the customers, which was really important. We reckon that 50% of sales in Germany were, were, were online sales, were internet sales, which is a hell of a number. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're kind of entering this new phase, right? And we, a lot of you talked about um, sort of momentum, 20% sales growth. So what needs to happen next as we come out in this, of the pandemic and into this new phase to keep some of that momentum going, what kind of challenges do you see there, um, whether it's with subscription boxes, online sales, people taking um, projects out of their closet to work on them again, relearning how to sew maybe um, after many years of not sewing. Um, David, we'll start with you. What do you think is the next phase? I mean, I think we've got enormous challenges. Our, we, we, our members are saying the market is, um, is declining at the moment. The market is not looking good. We've got significant problems. We've got inflation. We've got delivery delays. We've got um, uh, people spending money on different things. Um, tourism, for example. I, I, I get the impression now traveling that everybody is traveling, especially Americans. The number of Americans that you see now in London. I've been in London for the, uh, many, several times recently. Many Americans are coming to Germany. People I've met have said, we've been to visit this, we do this, we want to do cruises on the Rhine, etc., etc. So that's where people are spending their money now. I think what we've got to do as an industry is to make it really attractive for them now to spend their money on our products. That's the challenge. How do you do that? How do you get, get this interest? The interest is there. They've been doing it. But we've got to sustain this interest in our products. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Vicky? Okay, yeah. So for me, and this obviously we have different scales of business, but for me, this is when we really call on our community. Our industry is based, the foundation that we stand on are these crafters, are this community. And so, and here's the thing, the community is hurting right now. If it costs $80 to fill a tank of gas, we're in a discretionary fund business, right? And they're gonna, they're like, they're gonna need to get rid of my box before they're gonna not put gas in their car. So, the folks that are staying around, I think we nurture, we continue to nurture the, the community as a whole. Those that say they're tapping out because now they can travel or they can't afford it because of, the, of inflation, you say, I get it, we'll be here with open arms, still send them stuff. The people that are sticking with you have special events, sell more to them. <laughs> You know, most of the people that shop from me, I, was, I, I said this in a talk earlier, I have 112,000 followers on Facebook. I have 2,000 people in my private Facebook group for Yarnier. Those 2,000 people make way more money for me and my company than the 112,000. That's where we focus, I believe, that we focus our effort or on our regulars, on the people that feel invested. Um, and let them know, like, hey, like, we've got this. We can do this. Let's, you know, there's a lot of cheerleading that's involved. But to me, that's, that's how we mm -hmm. stay afloat. Mm -hmm. What about you, Tricia? Do you have thoughts about this next step? Yeah, I think the connectivity is really important, too. Mm. Um, I'm sort of similar to Vicky. And also, on top of that, I discovered a new demographic as we've been coming out of lockdown. 
that I didn't know was part of our community before, and that's the people who are still going to have to live in lockdown. Because um, we've just mm-hmm. we just did some um, uh, Zoom events with people, and I kind of set up a thing where I could sit and talk to people to learn more about them, and the number of people who can't leave their homes still mm-hmm. um, is astronomical. And I think we've got to continue to service them and be there for them, as well as all those who are. And I'm with you. I think every everyone's on a plane at the moment. Yeah. No one came here with an empty plane in an empty plane, but it's not possible. (laughs) So I think just continuing to build that community is very, very important. And continuing, you know, we have to support our retailers. Absolutely. It's really important. We are definitely going to get to talking about that. And and Maureen, speaking of retailers, um, and community too, uh, what are you you thinking about this next step? Um, Our challenge is to keep people interested. So they've pulled their sewing machines out of their cupboards. Now we need to keep them interested in using it. Um, One thing I did notice was that since we've opened up and more people are coming in store, I've noticed that a a lot more younger people are actually coming in, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing. Um, Yeah, but to... Just the main thing is just to listen to your customers and get new things in so that you can keep them interested. interested. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, you all have very different experiences, but a lot of um, a lot of experience under your belt. And so, um, I wonder when you think back over the course of your career, what have been the biggest shifts that you've seen when it comes to sort of consumer behavior like we're talking about and also kind of business operations? What have been the seismic, the seismic shifts that you can uh, point to? David, I don't know if we can start with you on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a long career, actually, because, I mean, I think we've, we've been through so many um, booms in certain products. I mean, I remember in the 1980s, for example, that's going back a little way, um, there was an enormous boom in hand knittings, uh, for example, in Germany. Um, and then overnight, practically, the market collapsed uh, in hand knittings. Um, and now it's coming back. I th- but I think, to me, the, the biggest change, if you like, uh, is what I would call consumer empowerment. In other words, you, we are now dominated by what the consumer wants. The consumer is telling us what, what they want. And they're able to do it because of social media, because of bloggers, because of you name it. And the, the people who are going to be successful are those who are able to understand what the consumer wants and to convert that into business opportunities for themselves. That's, I think, the biggest change. Previously, 30 or 40 years ago, consumers had to accept what we were selling them. They had no choice. They couldn't go anywhere else. They had to go to a shop. They had to buy it in a shop. And they bought there what we, the manufacturers, were selling them. That was it. And now it's completely turned on its head. And that's the challenge. And the only companies that will survive are those companies that understand that and meet that requirement. I think um, also what's really changed since post-pandemic, well, post-pandemic, is um, the the e-commerce aspect. Pre pre-pandemic, there was a lot of I always say like jets and sharks rivalry between brick and mortar and companies that were only online or brick and mortar stores that also had a highly highly successful online um, business. Well, the pandemic made it so everyone had to go online. Um, it kind of evened the playing field in, in some ways. And it also broadened the scope of what people around the world can get. So it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's a huge deal for that small business, that indie dyer, that you know, new product inventor. Um, it opens up the doors in a way that I don't think they were open before. Mm-hmm. Anyone who had never bought yarn online, has now bought yarn online. 100%. So, right, yeah, yeah that, that's gone now. What about you, Maureen? Um, the biggest shift I've noticed, I've been in business for only 10 years, um, but I, when, it becomes, when it comes to consumer behaviour, I've noticed that in an election year, people don't like to spend money. I don't know why that is, but <laughs> we're, we're in having state elections at the moment. 
Um, so that's one thing, and federal elections that I've noticed um, the main thing. But the other thing I noticed is that over the last couple of years, um, the suppliers in Australia now are only doing indent orders. So it's really hard to get supplies. Um, they're, they're not holding the stock that they used to hold mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. That's probably the biggest shift I've found okay. since the pandemic. I feel like Americans shop their feelings. Like, I feel like when we have an election, like, they're just like, bye, bye. We're the opposite. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And what about you, Trisha? What have been some of the big shifts you've seen? Oh, God. I feel like I've been around a while, so there's been some seismic shifts. But um, I think one of the biggest shifts, shifts, sorry, and not related to the pandemic is um, once we had the internet, disruption started taking place. And out of that disruption um, was a massive amount of connection. And particularly, I'm talking about the knitting industry because that's where I've um, focused my attention. Um, we had Ravelry, which no other industry group in the world has. No other interest group has anything that connects people like that. And we had all these people coming to knitting and there was such disruption just even in the, the way yarn was made, the sizes of yarn, the content of yarn. Um, Things like knitting needles, suddenly, you know, it used to be everyone knit with straights. Now, you, it's very hard to sell a straight needle in this country, yeah. you know. So there's been all of these amazing innovations, and I think we attracted a lot of very intelligent and thoughtful and inventive people. And I think it's all been turned upside down, and it's settled out. And there's a lot of love there for all the things that have happened and have been done. And people, I think, are settling into knitting in a nice way. There's not going to be disruption now. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be settled into a new way of knitting. A new way, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, sort of building on that, um, we're all from different sectors, different places in the world, and I'm curious your perspective on trends. So what you're seeing as far as making projects, that sort of trends, color trends, imagery trends, what kind of trends you're seeing? Do you want to start, Trisha? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I follow fashion trends very closely because that's what I've done for a long time. Um, and there's definitely, in the last two years or so, been a lot of knitting and crochet, particularly crochet, in designer collections from mm -hmm. um, the ready-to-wear world. And that is always great because whenever we see a lot of it out there, you know, it actually makes people think about, oh, I could do that. And if I could sort of, my crystal ball could show one thing that might actually drive desire, I think that fashion industry could actually do that. Mm -hmm. And I think um, particularly with crochet, because we don't have machines to make crochet. Right. And I think that's a very exciting thing. Um, and it's also, you know, part of the whole sustainability of the world and starting to slow down and health and wellness are important. Yeah. And our crafts, our crafts are the ultimate um, antidote for stress and for creating wellness and for feeding our creativity and for calming us down. And I think they're all sort of the key Absolutely. trends. Absolutely, yeah. And know? quilt coats too, yeah. along with the oh crochet, right? That's also yeah, out there everywhere. Exactly. What about you, David? Do you see some trends coming? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would agree with you. Um, certainly, in, from a German perspective, um, the Germans are very green, as we all know, and sustainability is one of the main trends now. And using up materials secondhand, it's, it's, we, we, we've got to um, uh, reuse things um, and, and not you know, create new problems uh, for the environment. I think that's a, that's a very, very strong um, uh, trend in Germany. Another trend, as you mentioned as well, is the benefits of doing crafts. Um, I think in, in certainly in Northern Europe, this is a very, very important thing, that it's good for relieving stress, but it's also good for children and for the education of children as well to learn how to do crafts. We do that. Um, our association has been very active in promoting crafts in schools. Unfortunately, it's not taught in many, many schools, even in Germany now. But we've been very active in the past, and we'll take that up again, which is getting children to uh, learn crafts, because it's proven that it's very, very good 
for children and for their brains to actually do crafts. It's a proven fact. Um, uh, and we, we, we operate a, a website called Kiniti in Germany, which is solely for children. Um, and that is successful. That's the sort of thing we should be doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. Uh, what about you, Maureen? What kind of trends are your customers talking about or are you seeing? It's becoming cool to have handmade clothes um, and also recycling um, old things and making them into something new. Um, that's becoming quite popular. Um, with everyone on the internet, a lot of people have been looking at YouTube, so they're finding new tools that they want to use. So um, that's, once again, a lot of people just looking at new things that we've got to um, mm -hmm. try and source. Right, that they're finding and asking, coming in asking for. Correct. Right, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what about you, Vicky? Um, well, I mean, I agree with what everybody has said. Uh, I, I think that there's a couple interesting things. I think trends, how we know them, like the word trend, I think it's different than it's ever been before because mm -hmm. of the internet. It used to be like, bell bottoms are out, skinny jeans in. <laughs> And that's not how it is anymore because of Instagram. And there's all these subcultures now. There's like, mm -hmm. there's like cottage chic, and there's like I can't remember which. Coastal I have a third. Granny. What? Coastal granny. Coastal <laughs> granny. Yeah, that, that, that's that's. Okay. Yeah. There's there's a ton, my. Uh, <laughs> I have a 13-year-old daughter, and she was looking at, it was like librarian gothic. Like, there's all these subs. <laughs> but, but I love it because that means you really, like, yeah. you do you, you know. So, of course, there's trends. You know, crochet is, like, Massimo's whole ready-to-wear thing is crochet. That's great. Of course, high-low hems are in right now. Um, in the knitting world, the, like, mock collar and sewing, the mock collars were in. So there's that but also leaning into the fact that you don't have to lean into trends is a trend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so it gives us a lot more wiggle room. Um, I heard from the Craft Industry Alliance newsletter that uh, boleros are in now. <laughs> yeah. <and crop. laughs> um, so we can recycle a lot of the things, but rare, it's really rare for something to go completely out the way that it used to you know, just even a decade ago. Mm -hmm. um, so that's exciting. And don't it, forget TikTok too. Right. Because <gasps> TikTok is a massive influencer right now. It's, it is. I barely tick. I barely talk. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. It is. <coughs> mm -hmm. Well, in reels now, I mean, yeah. Instagram, yeah. you know, yeah. Instagram's answer to, to that for sure. But what that does is that that means that you can take one one trend and you can spin it, you can remix it through a TikTok video or a reel into your own spin. And like for something right now, patchwork is huge, huge across genre. So quilted coats you were mentioning, mm -hmm. I saw one in Nordstrom for $500 the other day, um, big, but also creating that checkered patchwork is big in the knitting and crochet world. So I also yeah. see that as a trend is like, as Trisha said, with fashion, mm -hmm. like things crossing over, you know, which is great because we all need to help each other rise. So any way we can cross promote mm -hmm. is good for us. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to talk about e-commerce. We've touched on it a little bit, but the shift over the last, um, you know, two decades, certainly from uh, exclusively brick and mortar and catalog shopping that um, David had mentioned earlier to online buying, that's been enormous in all industries, including the crafts industry. So I'm wondering long term, how you think brick and mortar retailers fare and what they need to do to continue to be relevant in this landscape. So I'm going to start with you, Maureen. We're all looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do think bricks and mortar shops will always be around. Um, but in the current climate, it's necessary to have a good website. Um, I know a lot of my customers bought online during the pandemic, but they certainly are happy to come into the store and choose their own fabrics. Um, so many people have commented about how happy they are that I'm still open, because a lot of stores did close down during, in Melbourne during the pandemic, and I'm afraid half of them probably won't reopen, which is really sad. As a retailer, I've found that you need to listen to what your customers are saying 
And as a supplier, you need to listen to your wholesale customers because they're the ones that are dealing with the retailers, or sorry, with the customers, the consumer. Um, and they, um, hang on a second, I've lost my notes here. <laughs> I'm not very good at public speaking, if you haven't guessed. Um, so you were dealing with wholesalers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the wholesalers need to listen to the retailers because they're the people that are dealing with the public who, if it was not for them, none of us would be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's absolutely. what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No, you did. No. You did. And it, we're back to community. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, what about you, David? Um, what are you thinking about the future for brick and mortar? I think there, is, I, there will always be a future, I think. I, 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 I can't see it disappearing completely. Um, that's not going to happen. But it will only survive if uh, retailers offer complete consumer care. Think of ourselves. Why do we go to a shop? Why do we, why do we, want, why do, we do that now? The, when there's, in many areas, there's no reason to do it. We've got Amazon, we've got everything else where we can buy online. Why do we go to a shop as consumers? Because we get something extra. That's the only reason. And retailers will survive if they offer the consumer something they won't get online. Otherwise, they will go under. That's my view. Right. And so what are some of those things? I think that's something I know. Consumer need. care. Consumer I mean, I say okay. you've, you've yeah. got to give the consumer mm -hmm. something extra, something they don't get by going online. Right. Mm -hmm. And that can be Simplest. expertise. It can be community. There's special there's products. Everything. Special yeah. products. Yep. The whole, in the, the yarn world. world the um, whole works. In the yarn store world. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and I, there's, a, there's a big movement to just to have an exclusive yarn color. So maybe um, like Laura Zander with Mad Tosh is working and she'll do exclusive colors for that yarn shop that's only for them or local stuff. I know if I go into a yarn store, I can get any of the stuff wherever. I'm really interested in what I can't. Um, so I, I definitely agree, but I mean, people come to the shop for you, the shop owners yeah. or, you know, and the staff. So find, like, I believe that there's a huge place for it because we're people and we need connection. So you just have to find why people come to you to, to, to yep. jump off of what uh, David was saying and lean into that. Give more of that customer care exclusives. Do in-store, you know, in-store only events, um, special discount rewards, that kind of thing. You got to tap dance and jazz hand like we've had to do the entire time we've been in this industry. It's just a different thing now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. What about you, Tricia, as far as brick and mortar? I definitely think there's a future for brick and mortar, and particularly in the yarn world, because you can't get that help and connection anywhere else. And particularly with yarn, you need help. Yeah. People really need help. <laughs> so we're fine. <laughs> Same with quilting. Yeah. For them to be able to come into it's the hard. Store. I mean, it's hard to finish that project. It's hard to get past that step you're stuck there's on. There's a lot you of math. There's a lot there's of math. Exactly. Yeah. There is a lot yeah. of math. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, also they need that right colour. Yes. You yeah. cannot get the right color to match. Mm -hmm. To match absolutely. Yeah. And also if you run out of something or if you get if you're scrolling through Instagram and you're like, I gotta make that, but I wanna make it now, maybe that's just me. Mm -hmm. Um even Amazon's not gonna get it to you as fast as you wanna start it. You know? So if you can run if you can run to your local quilt shop or your local yarn shop, all the better. Yeah, absolutely. I think people also want to support their local stores. I agree. You do. You know, there's been a big shift towards um, supporting local restaurants, local anything. You know, you know, we all experienced during the pandemic, like Maureen was saying, about loads of stores closing down and many won't reopen. Mm. And that's sad in a community. I'm sure everyone has experienced this wherever they live. And um, I think people know that and they want to support you. Um, they want you to be there, to continue to be there. And I think that's, that's key too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so beyond just e-commerce, I'd also like to talk about the pivot that we've seen to online learning. And you mentioned this earlier, Tricia, with Zoom. Um, and I think that's a lasting impact. The, you know, anyone who hadn't ever heard of Zoom or ever been on Zoom or done a video call in the past has now done a video call, has now been on Zoom. So I'm wondering sort of when it comes to the crafts industry, what impact does that pivot to online learning have going forward? 
Do you have thoughts on that, uh, Trisha? I have a lot of thoughts on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've spent most of the pandemic actually teaching online, more lecturing than teaching. I've done some teaching and for me it was great because, you know, I had isolation issues, so it was really lovely to connect with people. And it's a great way of getting feedback, you know, um, and I love when, even if it's on Zoom, people still have an aha moment when they learn something new. And it's just as satisfying as if you're in a room with them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that is like really, really key. Um, people are thirsty for knowledge. Um, you know, it's why something like Vogue Knitting Live was so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to learn and they want to learn from the people who are really good at it or you know, people that they see in social media or people who write books or people who they hear of who are experts. So there's, there's been an ability um, to connect with teachers that you might not have ever been able to connect with before. You might have had to travel too far, it was too expensive or whatever, but you could actually get right, like this far away from your influencer. And that has been a game changer, I think, for a lot of people because you experience someone that you enjoy their work or you just experience them in a very up-close and personal way. Yeah, because on Zoom, we're all the same size square. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, you know, that person's in their studio or their home and you can see their pets and all the things around and they can see yours. And you have access to all the things in your studio. So if you want to swap out a color or whatever, you have all your, all your good stuff is right there. It's a very different experience to take And people class. can see your hands. I've taught yeah. at many a conference and I don't have the setup where it's like an overhead for my hands. And then so people are, you know, gather around everyone mm-hmm. and they're over your shoulder. And the benefit of a Zoom is that you can have your separate camera or your phone and they can see your hands. So they're getting that personal um, uh, experience, but they're also getting the, um, the, the view that you would get if it were a YouTube video or a pre-recorded. And that's something that I think, especially for what in the knitting industry, and, and I would imagine it's the same in the quilting where there's some really fine piecing, that's invaluable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard with sewing machines. Um, but when we were doing hand sewing classes, that was great because mm. we'd have the two different setups and everybody in the whole class could actually see what was being taught. Mm-hmm. So everybody learnt that new stitch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Did yeah. you start to offer online classes pretty quickly in or took a while? It took a little while. And do you think um, you'll continue to do it or are you just shifting straight back? A lot of people want to come back to the store and they want that in-store, face-to-face contact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Did you get international people that you wouldn't have had that couldn't come to? No, but a lot of my customers um, mentioned that they were able to do classes. I've got a customer that's really big into beading and she was able to do classes with people from overseas. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that was great for her. A lot of... Yeah, Australians were able to. Well, and also during the pandemic, especially. Well, my best friend lives in Seattle. I live in Austin. And one of the ways that we connect is we'll take these online classes. We made shoes together um, in uh, during the pandemic from a teacher in LA. She was, you know, Kristen was in Seattle. I was in Austin. We got the kits, and we could all do that. So again, we're back to connection. But even. Post pandemic, we live in different states. We can mm-hmm. still do that, you know. And there's so much mm-hmm. value there. Right. That doesn't mean that we don't take classes when we vacation together. We do, but it's another way, you know. It's another modality. Yeah, it's not um, yeah. instead of. It's no, and. It's, it's and. and. Yes, it's absolutely. And. What about you, David? Do you? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all you yeah. say. I, I'm just, I don't know, a bit skeptical about whether that's going to. Mm. Continue. I mean, I have to. I have to admit, I, I learned nothing during the pandemic. I didn't know. <laughs> I, Love it. I'm totally resistant to learning anything, <laughs> but I did other things. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's. But what I would say, I mean, I, I still believe in face to face and and being in groups. And I mean, I think we all, uh, to some extent, knew that. Actually, this, this distance learning or ha- online learning was not so good for children mm-hmm, in yeah. schools. I mean, yes. it wasn't good. I've, it's certainly in our family. We've, had a, we've got a case of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, one of our granddaughters 
who probably suffered yeah. by not going to school yeah. uh, she, for various reasons. But she did not do well um, for the past two years by not being able to go to school. Um, and I think that's, that says something. Yeah. What about travel? We talked about travel. Now, my wife loves watching travel programs <laughs> on television and whatever. And on, on. I say, well, why don't you go? I don't want to go anywhere. It's, we've been everywhere. We've lived around the world. Um, I say, well, why don't we go back to Egypt or Sudan? We lived in Africa. I mean, we've lived there for three years. We've lived in Africa. She doesn't want to go there anymore. She's seen it. She's seen it all live. She wants to experience the travel programs. But I, I want to go and see it live again. <laughs> I appreciate your skepticism. <laughs> uh, I'm being a bit provocative here. Yeah, but, no, uh, <laughs> can we meet in the middle and just say, <laughs> yeah, some right. of the time uh, yeah, we go that's... online, and some of the time <laughs> we're out that's okay. what is, I think that's what is, I think that's absolutely right. I think that's, yeah. one, that's going to happen with online learning. It's going to be a mixture of both. Yeah, you still people. Yeah. We, we're social animals. We still want yeah. to meet with yeah. other human beings and learn from them. It's mm -hmm. like everything. Moderation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about craft publishing because I love craft books, craft magazines, and certainly this is an area of huge disruption that we've seen. Um, so I'm wondering what you think is selling now. What do consumers want? What are they willing to pay for? And I'm going to start with you, Tricia, since you have a lot of publishing experience. Yeah, that's a loaded question. <laughs> that's a big question. Um, one of the things I did in my trend presentation this morning was I actually went and did some digging on Amazon to see what books are being published. And that's a really interesting exercise for everyone to do, um, in no matter what your area of um, expertise is or area of interest. But um, you can see what books are scheduled to be published for the next six months, and they're ranked in order of interest. So that is a really interesting way of looking at forward trends and seeing what's going on. And when I look at knitting, um, um, there's not a lot of project books, but there's a huge number of crochet books coming. Mm -hmm. um, and there's other sort of craft things too. So there's still craft publishing going on, but possibly less. Um, I know working for a yarn company, you know, the biggest growth for us is selling online patterns. Mm -hmm. You know, and that there's nothing wrong with that either. That's just another form of publishing. It's granulated. Um, people collect patterns just as they'd collect yarn, you know. Yeah, that's and that's fine too. Which mm -hmm. it's all good, you know. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of magazines, that's a more disrupted industry. There's less of a need for magazines because it used to be magazines were where you got your news, but now you get your news every day, mm. you know, um, and. You know, there's a lot of people you can turn to for that news. So it is very different. But, you know, I think there's also the space for magazines that have morphed into almost like a book, yeah. you know, like sure. a bookazine. And they're less frequent and they're more like a collectible. Yeah. They're printed on nicer paper. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the future that I'm seeing. I'm not sure how long that will last because it becomes very elitist. And as we're going through a time now where, you know, there's less money, there's less spending power, there's higher inflation, what happens then, you know, when publishing becomes too expensive? Mm -hmm. Maureen, you had mentioned about the, the Australian magazines and what's happened to them. Yeah, so in Australia at the moment, we only have two patchwork and quilting magazines, whereas probably, well, certainly 10 years ago, we had about seven or eight um, we actually stock the two magazines because they have block of the months that run in them. So the only way people can get the patterns is by purchasing the magazines. But I think a lot of people now want everything instantly. Yeah. So downloadable patterns, people can just download it and they've printed it out. They've got it mm -hmm. within five minutes. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way things are going to really. Um, I think part of that too is like I'm thinking about moving and when I look at the number of books I have and the number of magazines it's like it's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we've accumulated so much print over the years um, and there was a huge knitting book boom you know back in the early part of this century and I'm sure I'm not the only one that has you know well over 60 knitting books on my shelves. Yeah. 
And yeah. I always think to myself, well, which ones do I keep? And, exactly. and I look at them, and the ones I keep end up being the reference books. Stitch and the, patterns, the project yeah. books go, because I yeah. figure I can get the project if I need the project. Well, there's that too. And then you think to yourself, well, um, where is the value? You know, when does something just lose value? And have patterns become a throwaway in that sense, you know? Interesting question. Yeah, what do you see, Vicky, as far as publishing is concerned? Patterns have been commodified for a decade and a half, and it's something within the industry that we're really working um, hard towards and, you know, making sure that designers make a livable wage, um, which is neither here nor there except for it is there because... Um, you have to pay for these magazines, and the paper cost right now is crazy. Um, so I think that I hope, it's my hope, I agree with Tricia that it's, a, it's hard when you're producing a beautiful magazine that costs $20 for it not to be elitist, for it not to be cost prohibited to the people that you want to have holding on to it. Um, it's my hope, because I'm a huge believer in, in the value of print, that we find a way to have the components work together. And maybe, maybe it starts out as simple as in project for a magazine, maybe the sizing is digital. And it's more about a beautiful lookbook with the initial you know, pattern, and then you scan a QR code that you have to have a subscription for. You know, there's a component, so then it now can be inclusively sized to 5XL. Um, exactly. I think that's the current standard. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, so that they work together um, to get us through sort I of this rough spot. Yeah, I think patch. it's the only way that, um, like magazines like ours that include all that how-to content can survive. Yeah. You've and got to cut back on pages. Thankfully, the QR code has had its day in the sun. Who so. saw that coming? <laughs> That's been good. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. David, what about you as far as publishing is concerned? I'm, I mean, I've not got much experience, but one of our members is Burda, which is obviously a big, very big publishing mm -hmm. company in Germany. And I don't get the impression that they're doing badly. I, I think mm -hmm. Burda, you've got, you've, got you've got to do everything. You've got to be online and you've got to have print. You've got to have good quality, um, all those things that people have said. Mm -hmm. But as I say, I don't have the impression that Borda um, is, um, is suffering, but they've got good management. They're a very, very well-managed business uh, located in Munich, and I, I hope that they, they will be around for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I think David's right. I think the key really is diversification. Mm -hmm. You've got to have many yeah. different... Um, offerings if you're a publisher right and that can be events you know publishers yeah. and events can go together there's multiple different ways events, to pair this yeah, yeah. are huge mm -hmm. and yeah. just mm -hmm. speaking from an author's perspective right now you'd be hard pressed to get a book deal that paid you yeah. any form of li livable wage i did the math on one um advance offer and it worked out to about 11 dollars 25 an hour yeah. um you can do you can make more you know doing pretty much anything else so unless you're doing it just for the street cred it's just not worth it right now i feel like the the hit like the authors are really taking the financial hit they're expected to write books for you know, 5000 instead of 30000 um, and maybe they won't even see that at second $2,500 now. And it's not necessarily, you know, the fault of the, of the publishers, but it's happening and it's real. And if we as authors continue to accept that, then it's going to be expected even as the um, bottom line grows. It's, it's a tough thing. I think that publishing, book publishing did actually really, really solidly during the pandemic. But it balanced out because shipping and paper and cardboard went up. Mm -hmm. So they, people were able to stay afloat. Um, but I don't know what that means for now. Mm -hmm. Also, people are not buying knitting books, for instance, in the same way they were. No. The market's just crashed, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't sell a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sell a lot of books. No. People do, with Amazon and Book Depository, people go to there because they offer free shipping. Right. And they can buy it for probably what I can get it for. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's in a quilt store in Australia, you don't find that many books. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to talk about some of the immediate challenges as we sort of 
come to a close shortly around, um, well, many things, inflation, we've talked about uh, gas prices, shipping costs, supply chain. Um, and I know these are things that are on really everybody's mind. So I'm wondering what, how are these factors going to impact all of us, the industry as a whole, as we turn the corner coming forward? Um, what do you think, David? We'll start with you down on the end. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a really tough one yeah. because, I, I mean, to, today it's difficult to be positive. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the problem. But you've got to be positive. So therefore you say, well, these problems will sort themselves out and um, we, will, we will get to a situation where people are feeling more positive about uh, the, the events that are um, uh, hitting us at the moment. Um, from a German point of view, that's difficult because, as we all know, the Germans are famous for angst. Um, and that, it's, a, it's a word that's also entered the English language as well. Um, and so we get surrounded by it all the time. Um, uh, it's, it's tough. Um, but I, I, I think we have to just remain positive and look on the bright side. As Monty Python said, those of you who know Monty Python, um, and just keep keep hoping that things are going to get better. But at the moment, I don't think it's, it's not good. Mm -hmm. That's my view. Mm -hmm. Way to take it down, David. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think it's Be really positive. important that we're talking about this, though, because I, you know, when, when you have your head down and you're doing, you're working on your own business, whatever it is from, you know, designing a garment to running a, you know, subscription box business to a shop, your head is down and you're doing the work. And if you have a bad couple of months, and I had a bad couple of months this spring, you feel like, okay, this is my, what am I doing wrong? It's my business, it's my business. And when you lift your head up and go to your community, your colleagues, and you share, yeah, I had a really shitty month too. Like, yeah, this was hard, this was hard. You, it's, you can sort of take it as this is where we're at, and we're all in this together, so let's huddle now. <laughs> And figure it out. I think it's really important. And I also think it's important that if you're, gonna if you're going to raise your prices, you do it now. Because um, consumers are expecting it. Um, and so think about the next three years, if you can, and raise your prices accordingly. Because every single company and vendor across genre is doing it. And so this is sort of the period where you'll get the least like abandoning of the ship, other than folks that are going to have to do it anyway because of you know high gas prices and shipping prices. So really step back and look. But you don't want to raise your prices again in six months. So step back and look and do it once. And be honest. Be transparent. People want to be a part of your shop, your business, your designs. So let them be. Tell them, hate having to do this. I want to keep afloat, though. I want to inspire you like you're inspiring me. I've got this 3% increase or whatever. And you'll be surprised at how much people get it, yeah. you know, and, and accept it. Mm -hmm. Well, living in Australia, we yeah. have to get just about everything shipped in. Mm -hmm. So shipping costs to Australia have just exploded. So a container, for example, that used to cost $3,000 to ship now actually costs $16,000. So it's gone up hugely. Um, petrol at the moment at home, we're paying $2.15 a litre, and that's after the government have taken off half of the excise. In September, they're going to put that back on. So we'll be paying about $2.50 a litre, which equates to about your $6.58 US a gallon. So I find that a lot of people are calling the shop first to make sure that I've got something in before they yeah before they come down. Mm -hmm. And then once I get them in, I sell them lots of other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, Tricia, when you look at these bigger issues or things? Oh, I struggle with them, you know. Um, when I see, you know, that um, someone who's supplying fibre to us is putting their prices up 30%, and you can't pass that on to consumers. Yeah. You can't, you know? So you pass on, you know, the minimum that you can, but you know the cost of the fibre is going to go up, you know? Um, and then how do you deal with that? And then what's going to happen um, when all our costs 
up and our profits down. And everyone's going to need um, a cost of living increase that's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. And then you're squeezing profits in companies. And I don't necessarily personally have a problem with that. But um, when you're running a business, it's very, very difficult to, you know, who's going to last when we all... You, we could probably speak to this much better than I can. No, no, <laughs> I've spoken. <laughs> yeah. I've said enough. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, yeah. I just think the economics of it are frightening mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah, absolutely. But they were in 2008, too. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, yes. And there yes. was another, yep. another boom. That's right. That's so true. it's really like, how can, like, team up, people. Like, how can we do this? That's right. You know? Yeah. You just got to write it out. You got to write it out, but I feel like, you know, cross promote, do events together, yeah. make things interesting. Mm -hmm. um, meet, people, people meet people here. Meet people at H&H &H America. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a suggestion, Abby, that we have a, you have another panel next year, if hopefully at next year's show, yeah. and we see what progress has been made. I and love how that idea. How well we've done, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What our angst level is at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Angst meter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you to the four of you for sharing your knowledge so generously, and thank you to all of you also for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that was the State of the Industry panel discussion at H&H &H America's 2022. If you weren't able to attend the show in person this year, we hope to see you in Chicago in June of 2023 for year two of this incredible experience. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.